This is episode number 224, Finding Your Strong with Swap Coaches David and Megan Roach. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. For us, it's all about finding your strong. We want athletes to really embrace the athletic strength-based nature of being an endurance athlete. And what that means in practice is that everyone's strong looks so different. So you can't go on looks. You can't even go necessarily on what you're seeing in the mirror because that is so distorted and it's not analogous to anything with performance or growth or anything. What we really want is someone to be like, okay, I want to be a boss. Like I want to be strong. And that's how you eat. That's how you train. And what we're there for is supporting that with gentle affirmation that like you're enough as you are, you are perfect the way you are and things like that. But then also coming in with science. And friends, what a week. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. I'm so thankful that you're here and that you are part of my community. I'm so thankful that I get to be a podcast host and have the absolute privilege to get to talk to so many incredible people. And I know that this has been a really hard year for the majority of us. And I'm thinking about all of you, but there is still so much to be thankful for. And part of being optimistic is taking the time to look at the things that are going right, even whenever there are many things around you that might not be going the way that you want. This week, my newsletter is going to be about different types of gratitude practices and a thought of the week. If you'd like to join my newsletter, it's at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter, where I deliver exclusive articles and content only for people subscribed. So I'm excited to see you guys there. Hop over to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. Also, I am very thankful to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal with your donations. Those truly mean the world to me when I get that deposit every month and I am able to pay my audio producer, Roma, who does such an amazing job making sure that your ears are happy with the way the podcast sounds. So let's jump into today's amazing guests. Finding your strong isn't always easy, but if you're familiar with swap coaches David and Megan Roach, you are probably familiar with their infectious optimism. David and Megan are both coaches of their company Swap, Some Work, All Play is what that stands for, that David founded in 2013. The powerhouse couple coaches some of the top trail runners and obstacle course athletes in the world. Their coaching speaks for itself with over 17 U.S. national championships won, athlete appearances on Team USA 14 plus times, Spartan world champions, and so much more. So let me tell you about them. Megan is the 2016 USATF Trail Runner of the Year at the Ultra and Sub-Ultra Distances. She is a five-time national champion, a North American running champion, and a six-time member of Team USA. She graduated from Duke University with a degree in neuroscience and received her MD from Stanford Medical School. At Stanford, she is doing a PhD in epidemiology focused on population health and genetics for athletes. Megan started coaching with SWAP in 2016 with the premise that she could help athletes learn to love the process of training, embrace their inner ninja, and recover using a Taco Tuesday approach. And David is the 2014 USATF Trail Runner of the Year at the Sub Ultra Distance. 
He is a two-time national champion and three-time member of Team USA. He graduated from Columbia University with a degree in environmental science and received a master's degree and a law degree from Duke University. He is also a writer for Trail Runner magazine, and I frequently retweet some of his articles. The two also wrote a book, The Happy Runner. I had David on the podcast once before about their book, and I will link that in the show notes. David and Megan's book really resonated with me because it's all about being a happy athlete. This year, the couple started the Swap podcast, which happens to be one of my favorite podcasts, and I listen to every single episode. This episode that we recorded is packed with energy, fun, and great learning about secrets to happy coupledom, eating lots of food, self-acceptance, how to deal with quitting, death, talent, and so much more. A really interesting thing that we talked about was going into the long tail effects of some of your biomarkers and your blood work and what those mean and how you can use those to optimize your performance and look for maybe some hidden things that are going wrong that are affecting your recovery. We talked about a company that we both really like called Inside Tracker. And Inside Tracker is a company that uses blood work to assess biomarkers blood analysis, athletic performance, and nutrition software to optimize fitness and longevity. And guess what, guys? They are a podcast sponsor. They were founded in 2009, and they are a Boston company that first started working with professional athletes who wanted to see what their biomarkers, hormone, and mineral profiles look like during their training and how they could use nutrition and lifestyle to improve. And Inside Tracker is a company that I personally have been using for years and years this was especially helpful whenever I was changing my diet to become a plant-based athlete and whenever I wanted to see what my biomarkers look like, how what I was eating was affecting my performance, and it's been amazing. I've been able to see that what I'm doing is working, and regardless of whatever diet you choose to eat or what your lifestyle habits are, Inside Tracker can really give you some insightful information that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. Most blood works that you get from a doctor are basically just to make sure that you're at the bare bones standard of health. And Inside Tracker is all about optimizing performance. And right now, they are offering $200 off the Ultimate Plan. That is crazy. They only do this deal once a year $200 off the Ultimate Plan. The code is GIFT from Sonia Looney, and it's all one word GIFT from Sonia Looney. It's their Black Friday deal. For our podcast listeners, they are actually extending this deal for three weeks. So check out the show notes if you want more information, but you get $200 off the ultimate plan at insidetracker.com when you use the code GIFT from Sonia Looney, all one word. After listening to today's episode and learning more about some of these biomarkers, you might want to just give it a try and see what you can learn about yourself. I guarantee after today's episode, you are going to be so stoked, so happy, and you will be wanting to go subscribe to the Swap podcast with David and Megan. So here we go. Woohoo! Yes. Look well, at that synchrony. You really nailed that. Well, I've listened to your guys' podcast every single episode, and I love the way you guys start it. And I, I think I just start my day like that now. Woohoo! Yeah, that's that's amazing. We need a like an alarm clock that just like at five a.m. is just like woohoo. I think that's pretty much what Addie does. Our dog, like she's if she could speak, it would definitely be woohoo when she's like give me food. <laughs> that was good. I'm pretty proud of myself for that. I kind of harmonized it. I love it. You guys are just making waves, and you guys have your podcast, the Swap Podcast, which is 
anytime I'm on a bike ride and I'm a little bit grumpy, I'm like, I'm turning on the Swap podcast on Spotify. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it's been a fun experiment. I think we're like 20 episodes in now. And it's like, it's nice to have that time during the day just to like be able to talk to each other and make jokes. And like, I don't know, I feel like I've, it's been good for a relationship too, because I'm like listening to you better for the first time, <laughs> you know, because it's like when you do a podcast, it's like the listening point is so key. And I feel like that's like actually translated to real life. Yeah, I mean, I've loved it for that reason. And like, I don't know, it just gives us a chance to fully connect in a way that's also no pressure because a lot of what we do, you know, we're putting things out there that are either like for Megan, it's our research or, or our writing or whatever. It's like things that live forever. And with podcasts, it's kind of, it comes and goes, you know, it's just blowing away on the wind. So good or bad, you can just kind of let it, let it go. It's like these journal pages that are like drifting away in the wind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that podcasting has definitely helped me become a better listener too. But one of the first things I wanted to ask you guys about is the secrets of happy coupledom, because you two appear to have like the most awesome relationship and you work together and you do your podcast together and you play wiffle ball on Fridays. I mean, you guys have it made. So can you give people some tips on secrets of happy relationships? I think maybe the biggest secret is that like we've waded through a lot of crap in our relationship. Like I think we've gone through a lot of struggles and we were actually just talking about this because we're going to talk about our relationship and like relationships in general on our next podcast episode. And I think like just waiting through that together and like weathering the storm and waking up and being like, okay, our relationship is a priority every single day has been something that's like gotten us through that. And then just like laughing at that crap as either, usually it's not like during the fact as yeah. it happens, but like after the the fact of like trying as best as we can to learn from it. Yeah, I just think it's a constant recommitment. And it's no different than running would be or coaching or whatever someone finds their passion in. Like, you don't just wake up and be like, like, I mean, at least not to impose thoughts on you, but Megan, I'm sure doesn't wake up every single day and just like, I need to spend every moment with David. You know, it's like so much more complicated than that. And, it, you know, there isn't some magic universal spark that just gets lit and stays lit forever, whether that's running or relationships or anything else, you have to keep lighting that stuff over and over again. So, you know, we, we still need to work on it. But I mean, to get what she said with laughing, I think a story from today is actually relevant. So Megan was doing a hard hill workout today. And so I'm out there trying to coach mid run running with her. And so she has a main set that's like four by three minute hills. She did really great. It was really hard. And then we turn around and then she has steeper hills to finish. And I'm like, ah, they're like about 45 seconds because like, I just know the, know the spots and um, I've never timed, actually timed them. So I'm doing the first interval and I'm like, this is the longest 45 seconds of my life, <laughs> which I feel like I say often on hill intervals because they're really hard. They're not easy. It's at altitude. And it just was like, this is so, so long. So I was like, you know, I'm going to time the next one. And what do you know? The next one was 90 seconds. It was like the worst, the worst coaching estimate job yeah, in the yeah. world. But she was able to laugh at it at the same time. Like she didn't get angry about that. It was all like part of the joke. And I think that like, for us, we always try to come back to that, that there's going to be heavy moments, but hopefully we can be a source of lightness in each other's lives. Yeah. And I mean, that sounds really great and really easy, but in practice, it's actually really hard whenever things are difficult to laugh at yourself or laugh at your partner or just be humble. Like I know in one of your podcasts, I think David, you called yourself like a snapping turtle or something. Yeah. And like, it takes a lot of humility to be able to say that about yourself and to come to the table in your relationship and be like, look, like I might have been a little bee the other day or like, we're going through a tough time right now, but we're working on this together. We're not against each other. And so how do you do that? I think for me, it really comes down to just like accumulated trust. Like, I think because we have gone through like 
I mean, we've just gone through like some tough times together. And I think like, because we've come out of that, okay, and come out of that, like even stronger, it makes like, even though going through the situations or like going through like whatever little fights, and maybe you're like, whatever it is, going through that's tough. It's like having that faith that whatever we're going through will likely make us stronger, will likely laugh at it, even if in the moment, it's like, just does not feel like that. Yeah. And every relationship is like that. I mean, we get windows into people's lives behind the scenes. And whenever someone is honest with us, you start to see, oh yeah, you know, think of all the thoughts that run through each of our heads, like as individuals, right? Like we don't verbalize all of our thoughts, thank God, because I think we'd probably all be in jail, right? (laughs) And now think about when you're in a relationship, those thoughts are all out in the open. So you're incorporating all those deep, dark, secret thoughts with someone else's deep, dark, secret thoughts. There's going to be issues that you might not have with your friend or whatever, you know, with any, with other people. And like, that's where the beauty can happen, but it's also where the conflict happens. So like, you know, what we are always like is like at, at the core, it's trying to have this full forgiveness, right? Because no matter what, like in the next year, we're both going to make tons of mistakes. I think really um, quick, there should be like a deep, dark Twitter world where you can yeah. like dive into this together, like through the lens of like these tweets, because I think it would just be like so honest, but I think it would also help a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're trying to cancel your partner, you know what I mean? Like if like cancel culture applies to your partner, it's going to be the worst relationship ever. You just need to have like, I mean, hopefully this like permissiveness, like, so when I snap at Megan or when Megan goes a little crazy, um, you know, I think both of us, we know that it's going to be okay. Like it might take a minute, might take a day, but like there's going to be forgiveness for whatever happened and not like tallying up who gets this win in this column. You're on the same team. So there's only one winner the whole time. Yeah. I mean, having that forgiveness as a base in that space for being able to make mistakes, being able to maybe say the wrong thing and be like, oh, I didn't mean it to sound that way and giving your partner the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they're still a good person. They're still doing their best. And it also sounds like type two fun is a real thing in relationships too. wading through the time when maybe it isn't so fun or good in the moment. But later you can look back and be like, yeah, like we got that. I mean, I imagine having a child is another level. You know, we haven't gone through that and you have. I imagine that's like all of this magnified times a million, you know, like you're going through the ringer together. And that must be just like a full experience of I don't know, the stress testing, all this stuff, right? Yeah, I don't know. Someone said something to me once that because I was like worried because my husband and I have such a great relationship. And I said, well, I want to spend all my time with you. And if we have a kid, then I don't get to spend all my time with you. And someone said, well, a kid is a great opportunity if you have a strong relationship already to make it even stronger. And I never viewed it that way. And it, it actually is true. Like it's been a really I mean, I do miss, you know, spending all of my free time 100 percent focused on Matt. But it also has added dimension to our relationship. And it's not perfect every single second, but it's really fun to have that new experience together. I really love that. I can already picture our kid. So we play a lot of wiffle ball, as you mentioned, on Fridays. And I can already picture our kid. We're going to be like, you're going to play the outfield and you're going to retrieve all these balls for us and bring them back so we can just keep hitting over and over again. Yeah, I mainly want to have kids so that I can like coach little sports teams. Oh, that's going to be so fun. (laughs) I just want to coach soccer. Actually, I want kids for the Cool Ranch Dorito snacks at halftime just so I can eat them uh, while they're eating them, too. I I always bring them home. So anyway, so I don't know if we need a kid for that. And the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We're big Cinnamon Toast Yeah, we've been getting the big big family size ones. (laughs) Megan actually had a nutritional breakthrough recently. The other day, she just comes to me. She's like, David, you know... The more I eat healthy, the worse I feel. So I'm just going to go back to eating all sugar. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. She's like, 
I just need to like eat a lot more cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> I actually, I feel, I think it has more to do with like, I think when I try to eat healthy or like quote unquote clean, I think I actually just don't get enough carbohydrates for my training load. And so like, I do need some cinnamon toast crunch every once in a while. Yeah. I did see that we ordered burgers four days in a row a few weeks ago. So we're, we're definitely stepping up our game. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get enough calories when you're eating clean because the food is clean. So it's by nature, not really high calories. So you have to eat a lot of it to get lots of calories. So yeah, like for me, like I'm breastfeeding, right? And I'm still like riding my bike. So I actually have to make cookies and have stuff like that around because without it, I won't be able to get enough calories. Yeah, that's so true. Well, the other thing too I've seen is, is that like when I eat clean, it's just a lot of fiber. And usually that does not bode well for running workout. It's a little bit Especially easier. Especially as a bike, runner. <laughs> but for running, like this is just not good. Like for me, Cinnamon Toast Crunch burns a little cleaner than like, you know, like a, a healthy nutritionally packed salad. And so I kind of just got to go with what works for yeah. now. Yeah. Salads aren't dinners. No. Fortunately, we, we learned that a long time ago. We tell all of our athletes that it's like, you just need to throw a lot of fuel into the fire, no matter what it is. Yeah, I actually want to talk more about like body image and eating because you guys are both amazing runners yourselves and running coaches. And as coaches, I'm sure in the training logs, you see things about like, I should be this weight or I should look this way or maybe I need to like lose weight. It's like, how much is that part of a discussion for you? And how do you like help people feel more confident in their bodies and making these decisions about what they should eat? Yeah. So for us, it's all about finding your strong. We want athletes to really embrace the athletic strength-based nature of being an endurance athlete. And what that means in practice is that everyone's strong looks so different. So you can't go on looks. You can't even go necessarily on what you're seeing in the mirror because that is so distorted and it's not analogous to anything with performance or growth or anything. What we really want is someone to be like, okay, I want to be a boss. Like I want to be strong. And that's how you eat. That's how you train. And what we're there for is supporting that with gentle affirmation that like you're enough as you are, you are perfect the way you are and things like that. But then also coming in with science and being like all of the science now, especially for female athletes, shows that enhanced within day deficits, not just across day week, we know that across day deficits are bad, but even within a day, not eating enough has major hormonal and you know cascading neuromuscular impacts that reduce performance across the board. So when we say you have to eat enough always, this isn't just saying treat yourself with the love you deserve, though that is a point. It's saying treat yourself like the badass athlete you are and that's actually going for your potential. And I think just to layering in the concept that strength is longevity. So I think like in order for athletes to have longevity in the sport, you really have to have that like consistent feeling over time. And you do see examples of athletes who may have like disordered eating and they can have strong short-term performance, but it almost never lasts over the long term. And like athletes, like it is fun to be performing strong. It's fun to be eating. It's fun to have like food as a source of like social time, food as a source of something that's delicious. And so I think we just emphasize that too. It's like food is fun, you know, embrace whatever it is that you think is delicious, embrace what your body is craving within reason and just, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. And that whatever it is you have, love handles are fast for some people. Cellulite is fast. Like don't judge yourself based on these cultural definitions, maybe of what athlete looks like, because that's totally different for each of us individually. And so what it looks like for one person is going to be totally different than another. So you're strong, whatever that is, is so beautiful and perfect as it is. And that's what we try to support. And what we've seen is that that also leads to this long-term performance growth that can create some of the best athletes in the world from people that didn't think they were ever going to be capable of that. I love that. Like finding your strong, what that looks like for you, because 
there is a lot of pressure to look a certain way, especially in certain sports. Or if you're a professional athlete, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to look like a professional athlete. And that could be really damaging. And like you said, for me, you know, there's girls who are much thinner and leaner than I am. And I can't perform if I look like that. I just can't. I have no energy. You know, there's other people that need to be a bit bigger in order to perform well. And it doesn't mean that you're not a good athlete if you don't have like hard edges everywhere. Oh, so true. And Megan's research has shown us so much various biomarker testing over long periods of time with all different athletes like that we coach. And it's fascinating to witness what happens when an athlete does fuel properly. Also the converse, like the scary things that happen, even when an like it doesn't necessarily change how an athlete looks because it also alters metabolism, might slow that down. Essentially all of these biomarkers looking at vitamin D, hemoglobin, all the hormones, all the endocrine system, like they all have long tails. And as those tails start to stack up from stress, you know, eating plenty is one of the main ways to make sure it doesn't add up to the breaking point. And, you know, we'll see things like an athlete, you would never be able to tell based on how they look or how they present or anything. You'll only be able to tell based on talking to them and how they feel about themselves. And you'll see these biomarker profiles long-term that are just disastrous, not just for running performance, but overall mental health and and long-term like physical health. And so finding your strong is essentially means finding your healthy and your healthy never comes from restriction. And I think for me, what's been really fascinating is thinking about the connection between underfueling and mood. So oftentimes what I see is that some of these hormonal cascades actually impact mood. And so athletes that may be underfueling may struggle with depression, they may struggle with anxiety because you know this, this underfueling may be impacting that through cortisol pathways, through estrogen pathways. And I think that's really interesting because like oftentimes too, it's like if you can improve that, that also goes alongside with creating this positive body image. And I think it's like an, a really interesting feedback loop. Definitely. Have you guys written an article or like, is there anywhere I can link to some of these biomarkers to look at? Yeah. So we've written a few articles on fueling and how it relates to long-term adaptation. Um, mm-hmm. So we can send you this. Awesome. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Inside Tracker, and I know you guys are as well. And yeah, I love going and looking at the data and I'd love to learn more about like the things that you guys have learned. Yeah, we love Inside Tracker data. And I, one of the reasons I love Inside Tracker data just is because of their platform. So like for me, I have like all these little notes like bookmarked all over the platform of like when I've tested. And so I can go back and see like the various states of like when I've tested. And I think for me, that's like really helpful too, is because for a lot of these biomarkers, it's getting a sense of the trends over time. So it's really helpful to look at, for example, like where do your testosterone levels stand compared to your baseline as opposed to just like this point value. And I think like Inside Tracker does a great job on their platform of allowing you look, to look at those trends over time. Yeah, I actually did an inside tracker test. I had just come back from, I think it was Cape Epic. It was like, a, you know, eight or nine day mountain bike stage race. I traveled across multiple time zones from South Africa and met my husband somewhere. And then it was like a work conference for him and they had a party that night. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to like let loose. Like I had a bunch of drinks. So I was like jet lagged, hungover, you know, stage race fatigue. And I did an inside tracker test just to see like, okay, what do I look like at my worst? And it actually wasn't as bad as I thought. So it was pretty cool to see that data. That's, yep. that's really interesting. Yeah, I have some athletes who go and get tested after like 100 mile races and their inside tracker profile. It's like, this is the marker of someone who is like, like very, 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 very inflamed. Someone who is dying. Yeah. If you took, if you like did an inside tracker for King Tut or something like <laughs> a mummy, it would kind of look similar. The mummy. <laughs> that's awesome. So self-acceptance and saying like, you are enough, you you're awesome the way you are. That is a huge, huge part of your ethos. How can people work on that? Because it it sounds, it feels good to hear like you are enough, you're awesome, but there's that little voice inside that's like, 
you're not enough and you're like so-and-so is better than you and like so how can people work on having better self-acceptance well we're all always going to have those voices right like the the goal of all of this is not to find this pure enlightenment where you become some being that's above it all and like subverts your ego entirely like that's not realistic in modern society unless you're like literally the dalai lama listening to this which thank you if you are Um, (laughs) yes we are very awesome if he's listening yeah yeah but the idea being that once you have these thoughts you know, to get them outside your head as much as you can, not to pursue these thought spirals to their bitter conclusion, which is that I suck and I am never going to be enough and I'm stressed and I'm anxious all the time. And so, you know, the, the best way to do that is one, to recognize when it's happening and escape somehow. So like what we like to do is talk to each other, but we also like therapy, you know, mental health medication, things like that. But basically, you are awesome and you are enough doesn't mean that you don't have these thoughts that you aren't. It means that you have these thoughts that you aren't and accept that part of yourself too and give that part a hug, just like you give the parts of yourself a hug when you win races or whatever it is else that like you love about yourself unconditionally because you want to love everything about yourself unconditionally. And I think the other thing too is thinking about this almost as a habit. So waking up each morning and being like, I am committing to this today. So we actually have a Ted Lasso belief sign on our bathroom because it's like that is the reminder that like we are going to wake up and believe we're going to wake up and say these affirmations to ourselves, even on times when it's hard. And that's been something that's been really helpful for me. And I think the other thing for me too, is just knowing that other people struggle with this too. So I think like knowing that this is like a universal struggle gives me compassion for others because like I have been there when it's hard and it's like truly draining and exhausting to kind of like fight these battles sometimes when things, when things do get tough and to be able to like stand through and have that affirmation. And so I think for me, knowing that other people are going through that makes it so that I don't often play the comparison game with other people. Yeah. And you're not these thoughts that come by all the time. You know, it's like a a traffic just going by a a million miles an hour. You are not those thoughts. You are not the traffic going by. You are the awareness that those thoughts exist. And that awareness behind it, that's so beautiful. That's like existence. That's all this unlimited capacity for beauty and potential and possibility that all of us have. And, you know, everything has. And then that is where all this magic happens. So what you're trying to connect with is like, okay, those things are always going to be streaming by, but that's okay. And like in that, I can find that like, you know, in those moments where I'm crying myself to sleep, I am still freaking awesome. Not in spite of crying myself to sleep, but because I'm that person that cares about whatever it is that is, you know, going through that moment that will pass. And then I'll get back to, you know, maybe a state that's a little more comfortable to go through. But even the uncomfortable moments are super cool and exciting and interesting and can be playful too. Yeah. And I think that that's probably like what optimism is, right? It's like you're in the shit, but you know that around the corner, it's going to get better. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, Megan's been great at like helping me really understand how that works. But I think a lot of times what our coaching comes down to is this unrelenting optimism that when we're talking about belief, it's not that someone is going to win every race they do. It's that no matter what happens, we can continue to grow and continue to work on that. And it's like, I think that's one reason it's so good to have like some sort of external thing, whether it's a therapist or other thing, because that's really hard to do in our own heads, right? Like it's so easy to be defined by whatever is the most recent, that availability bias. But when you zoom out, 
it's like, oh my God, that awesomeness and amazingness, like we see it as coaches, becomes so apparent and so cool and uplifting. And I think by stepping up and being resilient through those moments too, it gives you that confidence that like, okay, I can get around this corner. So it's like the next time that you get to a corner, it becomes, it's almost like a hill workout. It like you have that confidence building workout after workout after workout. And it's like, okay, I can do this. Like I can power through this resilience to get there. Even though like it may feel like real crap in the process, like, you know, I can do this. I've done yeah, it before. And we, that's why we like athletes to look forward and celebrate whatever you constitute as failure or whatever it is, you know, like that is something that we want to celebrate right alongside it. So like, you know, if you bail on a workout, if you get injured, if you, you know, mess up your work presentation, all that, it's like, heck yeah, you went for it. You shot your shot. That's what it's about. And by celebrating, like, hopefully it also adds a little bit of the playfulness to it. You know, like if this is some sort of like existential dance or whatever, then dance, right? You don't have to be a good dancer. Just go for it. And I can say I'm not a good dancer. (laughs) One of David's biggest fears is dancing. And I just found his mom sent me this picture of like the homecoming. David was homecoming king. And I was like, I can't believe you're a homecoming king with this like major fear of dancing. So I think that's a very interesting story. It's funny that I use that as a metaphor because like I am still afraid of wedding. Like kind of the only benefit of COVID is that there aren't weddings for me to embarrass (laughs) myself at on the dance floor. (laughs) Yes. I mentioned my husband's work conferences and the times I have gotten up there, I've had some injuries and yeah, people remember those injuries because I fall down and it's just not pretty. (laughs) We actually see a lot of wedding dance injuries in coaching in general. I think sometimes like people go from not dancing at all to like six hours in heels. I was going to say, yeah, it's definitely the footwear. So I tell people, I'm like, if you're going to dance at a wedding, remove your heels, like do it barefoot. Yeah. Have, have a fuel belt. Take three gels, mid, like mid-move. bring a foam roller for the, yeah, yeah. For the dance floor. Yeah. So we were just talking about optimism, and we're talking about confidence coming from credibility of standing back up every time you fall and being able to learn something from that. And it's easy to talk about that once you have it, but not everybody has that starting point. Some people have no confidence; they have no place to look back and say, "See, I did that." So. Where does that come from? How, how can people get started to feel more confident if they are in this place where they're like, I'm not enough, I can't do anything, I don't know how to build confidence? Well, I mean, I just emphasize that there is no end point where you're going to achieve or do enough for that box to be checked. Um, the people that win world championships struggle with this just as much. Their mental toughness might be glossed at the edge, so they're able to apply it very specifically in athletics, but then it might just erode as soon as that starts to fall away and they hate themselves deeply. So it has to come from this like constant, persistent work, almost like we talked about with relationships, a constant recommitment and uh, refocus on the fact that like being awesome doesn't mean that you're achieving anything. It means that you're existing. And so by celebrating that day-to-day existence, it's like, you know, you made a good dinner. You made a dinner. That's amazing. That should give you so much confidence that you're doing something complicated. And, you know, you went on a run. Heck yes. And maybe eventually that'll morph into, oh, this person won a world championship and that should give them confidence that they haven't there. But if your best is either, you know, your best has to always be enough or it'll never be enough. And so we just say like, give it your best shot. And whatever it is, like we'll celebrate with pizza and and beers after. And I think for me too, a lot of it practically gets down to reflection as well. And so I have a lot of athletes like journal these thoughts, because I think you can look back on the journal and think about like what you've learned over time. I think another great tool for athletes is gratitude lists. So like, either gratitude lists just for like the day itself or gratitude lists for like a specific situations. Like how have I gotten through this situation? Like what are these, like these points of gratitude that have helped me? Like how have I leaned on this? And then the other point too is, is like 
we have most of our athletes work with a therapist just because like, I think really smart people it's like, and really dedicated athletes and just like, honestly, anyone in general, like getting to talk about your feelings with a therapist is a great, great thing. And they can help you center these thoughts and reflect on it and bring it all together. Yeah. And everything takes practice, right? Like it makes sense with training that we're all like, oh yeah, you need to run this much or whatever to reach this goal. But we don't necessarily think about that in terms of how our brains work and how our self-image works. All of this stuff takes unrelenting practice. And if you don't train that for six weeks, you're also going to, just like you had those bad runs, you're also going to be like, oh, I hate myself right now. Like, I mean, depending on your baseline brain chemistry. And so, you know, to committing to that practice of it. And what's one reason that like Megan has been so helpful for me is like, she's always there to be like, you know, you're so loved, you know, you're, she's able there to remind me to practice that because it is an internal journey that she's like lifting me up on. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I feel the same way. (laughs) Yeah. I think it would be hard as a coach, especially a coach where, you know, some coaches are very focused on like the mechanics and the, the training of the sport, but for you guys and your coaching mentality and methods, like you're really talking about almost like life coaching and making sure people feel happy so they can go faster, like in your book, The Happy Runner. So like, how do you draw that boundary between, okay, like this isn't in my realm anymore. This is now they need to go talk to a therapist. That's a fantastic question. So I think like every coaching relationship that we have starts with the premise of unconditional support. And I think athletes know that and it kind of opens up the discussion. And again, like some athletes are writing us like journal entries of training, like in their training log each day. And some athletes are like, workout went great, period. You know, today was fun, period. So it's like, you know, we definitely have a spectrum of how athletes engage with that. But I think like we're very lucky to have a care team of like a nutritionist, a therapist, a sports psychologist, like all these different people that we refer out to. And oftentimes when we feel like the discussion starts getting like getting to the point where an athlete could use that added help. And it's, it's typically just on an individual level, like what, whatever our intuition goes with that. It's nice to have that care team to refer them out. Yeah. And we're not, we're not life coaches. We're no. not mental health professionals. We're none of this stuff. What we are is a friend that gives a shit. And that role is like a daily check-in process that like every single day they'll know we'll be there. And anything that comes up, comes up just like it would with your friend. And fortunately, we have these other resources that can help. But like, I think at, at most, you know, these other things might be like interventions, you know, what we are is just the lightest tailwind, right? Like we're just trying to give the slightest push on their life journey, like a one mile an hour tailwind. They barely even feel, but you go a little bit faster. And so, you know, we're not going to be like, okay, get off the bike right now. And, you know, we're, we're just more of a little push in the background. So how do you guys both personally walk the line between achievement and validation of those achievements? Because you both are incredible, like you've both achieved incredible things like MD, PhD, like lawyer, amazing, you know, running results and FKTs. Like how do you draw that line? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a constant struggle to understand. I mean, I think for both of us, what we talk about all the time is none of this stuff matters. You know, (laughs) the book actually emanated from what was our pre-race email that we sent to every athlete. Like that is basically the whole intro of the book is based around that email, which is this long email that that says, we are stardust with delusions of grandeur. It talks about death. It talks about that these results are dust in the wind and none of this stuff really matters, that this is a celebration of existence itself. And so we're constantly reminding each other of that. You know, we don't always play by the rules, but the idea being that, okay, go out, look at the night sky, look at the stars, get that perspective. And from there, you know, go for it, go for it so fucking hard, because that's the whole point of using this little bit of time we have. But also understand that we're going for it with like, the wink that the stars give us. 
But I think also too, just like emphasizing, like, I think we really do celebrate the crap out of the little things and the big things. And I think that's been like a helpful part of the journey too, even though it's like, I think as David mentioned, like we know in the background, it's like these things don't objectively matter, but like, it's still something awesome to celebrate. And it's like, I think it's like, that's like this little thing that you can look forward to. And we do that with athletes too. It's just like, you know, you have an athlete win a big race and it's like, we are going to celebrate this. We're going to celebrate the crap out of this because it's a big deal. And so it's like an interesting way of like, both celebrating it and also like putting it in context and understanding its meaning with like within like the greater position of life. Yeah, it really matters. Like, yeah. but it matters in the same way that everything really matters in that it also kind of doesn't. So like Steph Curry coming down and shooting a three from 35 feet with a hand in his face, like that's the, that's the shit we want to do. And we want to support as coaches and, and with ourselves too, because it's so easy to be like, oh, it's Steph Curry. Okay. I'm going to like pass the ball and never put myself in this position. We're like, oh, let's just go shoot our shot. See what happens. Maybe it'll go in. Maybe it doesn't. And like, you know, hopefully as it leaves our hand, no matter what, we'll be like, heck yeah, I shot it. Yeah. So you find your validation from shooting the shot, not necessarily from like winning the thing because winning the thing isn't permanent. And whenever you die, it's not going to matter anyway. Exactly. And I think there's like this addiction thing too, is this like, if the focus is on winning that thing, it's like, it's always going to be about the next thing because it's like, that's what you're building towards. And so it's like, I actually think it's even hard to have like a proper celebration of that. If that is your focus, because it's like, your mind is just like always chugging forward. And I think that's been something that like, before I met David, that was kind of like, it was like, my mind was always like five steps ahead of where it should be. And it was like, it was not productive. Yeah. And it it all gets back to being where you are. I mean, like Megan and I, my favorite time of day is when we just after dinner, get to watch TV together and do nothing but that, you know, and you just come back to these centering moments. And so we love training. We, we both train really hard and, and race a lot and, and love that process, but it's just to add flavor to life. And I hope that's how, how athletes that we coach feel too. It's like their lives are just getting a bunch of hot sauce added to it, but it's not like fundamentally different. Hot sauce and tailwinds. That's all you need. Exactly. Put the two together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So how do you guys help people or yourselves like if you quit? Because sometimes things happen and people drop out of races or they quit something that they really wanted to do and they just couldn't make themselves go on. Like, And it's it's really hard whenever that happens and it's hard sometimes to get started again. So I think for me, quitting is actually like, a, it can be like a really empowering thing. And it can be one of those things that takes very strong mental resolve. We've had several athletes like change their careers, which is like theoretically quitting. Like both David and I, like I didn't go on to go on to medical residency. David, you know, stopped being a lawyer and we both pursued running coaching and other, other things. And like, technically that's probably quitting, but it was like, for us, I think like we rephrase it to athletes as swerving. So Michelle Obama actually has a great piece on this about like the power of the career swerve. And so I think like, quitting often takes a ton of guts, a ton of courage. And I just encourage athletes to think about it as swerving rather than quitting because it like, you truly are finding the path that oftentimes is right for you. Yeah. And that's where every, all learning happens. It sucks. And it's so cliche to be like, Oh, learning comes from failure and stuff like that. But a hundred percent does. I mean, you know, we go through the list of our athletes or whatever, and it's just, it's almost comical to be like, Okay, you know, the breakthroughs that we might list in like marketing materials or something. It's like, oh, I can trace that back to like the biggest disaster that maybe no one even knows about in some cases. And it's like, oh, so yeah, they, I mean, at the time they couldn't see that, right? Like none of us can. But once you start to see that enough, it's like, oh yeah, that is just like a swerve. You know, once a door closes, a window opens or whatever it is that you would say in a cat poster or whatever. <laughs> I'm always so impressed whenever I hear stories of you guys getting up at like three o'clock in the morning or I heard stories about like Megan getting up. Yeah, like literally at 245 or something to go running. 
And that takes grit. Like grit is passion, perseverance, and commitment to long-term goals. And like the time management and energy management around being that committed is really hard for a lot of people. Like most people just want to hit snooze, myself included, if the alarm goes off at that time. So how do you stay committed to that? How do you have that grit? So I think it's, I think that grit came, and that was specifically in med school, just from like a true love of running. Like I tell David, it's like, like I need running to be my best self throughout the day. And I think like when I woke up in the morning at two in the morning and like, I didn't hit snooze, it was like the knowledge that like I needed that running to get up and be like the kindest, happiest, like most joyful person I could be during that day. was super helpful. But I also think too, like having David alongside that process was like truly instrumental during that, like waking up and knowing that someone else was like, felt that same way about running, felt that same way about life, like helped me get out the door so much. Yeah. And it takes aggressive self-compassion, like all this stuff, because Megan has this abnormal ability to do these types of things, right? Like, I don't think I would have been able to do what she did, even though like I do care and I'm deeply invested in, in the process. And so if you can't, like if you're someone listening to this, that's just like you hear that and you're like, what? Just be like, no, I'm still like you have to be aggressive with your self-compassion. Like, it can't be something like, well, if I'm not, you know, if I don't reach that thing, then I'm not. It's like, no, you have to like be like, I am so great just the way I am. Well, it's also pretty aggressive with my coffee consumption. That yeah, helped, yeah. That helped quite a bit during that period of time. Yeah. And all of it's tied to other things, right? Like I think one of the hardest parts about talking about athletics as it relates to the rest of life is all of these decisions that we can and and are equipped to make are also maybe tied sometimes to slightly negative things about ourselves that we might trying to mindfully change, you know, like Megan being able to wake up at 2am also means that if she didn't wake up 2am to do that, she would probably be pretty like tough, you know, and it's like, well, that probably comes from, you know, she's just a she's feisty. And that's great. But it also means that there's other things. I was going to say, on. yeah, there's a flip side of that feisty coin. Like, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like the flip side of that feisty coin is, is that like I had like major temper tantrums as a kid and like yeah. all of this and that. And so it's like, you know, sure, maybe like we are celebrating this ability to wake up at 2 a.m. But like the flip side of that also comes with some pretty yeah. interesting things. Yeah. Too. So we all have flip sides of the coin and both flip sides. And I try to tell Megan this all the time. It's like, I love the dark side of your coin too. And, and I, she tells me the same thing to me, you know, it's like the both are super cool because you can't have one without the other. Yeah. It just made me think of the Megan manual in, your, in the book that you guys talked about. <laughs> Thank you. Well, sometimes I feel like I still need a Megan manual, but yeah, yeah. we're working on it. <laughs> yeah. What I keep hearing is just the thread of how important it is to have a supportive partner to hold up the mirror for you, to be there for you, to hold a space for you. And even like whenever things get out of whack and things get dark and hard to still be there for you. Like that is just so awesome that you guys have that and that you've worked really hard to maintain that. Well, yeah. And I'm so lucky, but like if someone that's listening doesn't have that, it's not a question of like, you need to have a partner. Like, I I don't think it's necessary at all. I think that what is necessary is to, you know, have support systems. So like a therapist can be that person or friends or dogs even, you know, or even a deep connection with nature. There's all these different ways that you can escape the darkness of your own thoughts, essentially, or like not escape it, but embrace it. And I think some of that is give and take to to a certain extent. Like, I don't think my brain was naturally wired for this like premise of unconditional support for this like amazing like thing of positivity until I met David. And that was like David's ethos. And I think like it kind of like over time, I feel like you really do become like the, the five people you spend the most time around. And like slowly over time, I feel like that started transforming. And it was like this give and take that we had in the relationship. But it like definitely that's not my that's probably not my baseline. Well, she also made me more practical and like grounded on reality, you know, and on like the way that a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense unless you've like 
you know, taking some psychedelics or something like that, that is important too. And like that give and take doesn't necessarily have to be a partner. It just has to be something that helps you learn outside of your own ears. Because like, I know at least for me, before I met Megan, especially like I was lonely, you know? And, and for me, I needed Megan all along and I didn't know it. But like a lot of people, it's not that you need your Megan, you know, you can find like, you know, the, whatever helps you feel okay with who you are, like feel a hundred percent okay with who you are, even when you're not winning a race or, or achieving. Yeah. Thanks for pointing out that it doesn't need to be your romantic partner in order to feel and have that support in your life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always interesting because, you know, we were talking about relationships before, like we also get windows into, you know, we, we've gone through tough times, but then we also get windows into the difficulties of other relationships from people being like honest with us. And it can be tough. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know if like a bad relationship or like an unhealthy one is, I mean, I would say being alone would probably be better. And and just to say like, you know, what you see online and stuff isn't necessarily reality. Even with Megan and I, it's so much more complicated than we're even able to say here. Also, even little things too. Like, I think I get a ton of like positivity and joy, even from my relationship with Addie Dog, yeah. which is a dog. And like, you know, she doesn't even say words to me. So I think like, you know, there's just like a lot of different creative ways to inject a little bit of that like positivity into your life. Yeah, there's this book called The Blue Zones of Happiness by Dan Buettner. And he goes and he did research around the world to see where people are the most happy, according to like Gallup studies and surveys. And one of the characteristics of people that are the happiest are that they have a dog. So I love that. That's amazing. Also, it's really interesting to think about like confounding variables there too, because it's like people have to select to have a dog too. So it's like what what goes into the selection processes of the people who choose to have a dog. But that's fascinating. What is so good? I mean, a lot of what we're saying is like, it's hard to take life seriously when you look at it through the lens of the dog, like a dog's eyes. Plus, it makes you hyper aware of the concept of death because I was just going to say that. Yeah. The short lifespan. Like I think we constantly just added stairs to our bed because Addie is eight years old and is having a little bit of trouble jumping into the bed. And so we have these these really cute dog stairs, but it's such, it's like one of those like poignant reminders about like just how short life is. Yeah. So the show, the good place had this great line. I forget the exact words, but it was something like, yeah, the process of becoming fully human is being always afraid and constantly aware of your own demise. I think that what you're describing is what it means to be fully human, like to be what we are, you know, these like decaying meat sacks that do (laughs) run or whatever else. And that that's so beautiful too. One, because it adds meaning to everything. And I don't know if you could have the meaning that, that life has without it, but two, because everyone else is going through it too. Your worst enemy is going through it too. Maybe not some narcissists we know, but like almost everyone else is going through those same feelings. And it should like, you know, help you double down on compassion, both for yourself and others, because it's like, oh yeah, you know, this whole universal problem that no one has an answer to, like everyone, that is beating in the background of almost everyone's thoughts. And like in that process, hopefully we can find some light together. So I'm right there with you on that. Like I think recently, like I have had those thoughts quite a bit. I don't know whether it's COVID or like the fact that like I'm getting older or Addy dog or like what it is that's making me have these thoughts, honestly, probably every day, but like, I totally empathize with that. And like, that's how I feel recently though. I've been, I've had like a ton of deadlines and a ton of like really small things that I've been stressed about. And so I've kind of used that, like, even though it's been something that's like kind of like churning away in the back of my mind, it's like when I have that stressful deadline, I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to die. So like, you know what I mean? Like this, this deadline is like, you know, very, 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 very small dust in the wind. And that's like been some small solace at least coming from that. But it's definitely been something I've struggled with. I think one time Megan like was in the process of crushing a deadline 
she just looks over me and goes, we're all going to die. Fist bump. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, you know, there are no answers to those questions, really. Like, that's the whole process of of all this. And, you know, maybe that's where the ultimate beauty comes from. That's where, like, self-compassion actually comes from. It's that when we say there's no finish line, it's like, literally, guys, like, this is it. Like, this is, we are just all constantly in this thing and whatever it is. And so, you know, the Kurt Vonnegut quote that I always love to say is that we're here to help each other get through this thing, whatever it is. The idea being that like, oh, well, let's default to kindness because in this process that no one really understands, like we have that, we have that, the fact that like we are literally all in whatever it is together. Now I'm going to kind of move in a different direction, but I want to go back to something you said. It was like something about Megan having a, a crazy ability to get up early or to have this drive. And it's something I've been thinking about with my husband a lot and talking about is like the idea of talent and the idea of hard work. And I was arguing that like, I don't know exactly how much talent exists. Like there is physical things like being really tall makes it easier to be a basketball player or, you know, whatever. But how much do you guys believe in talent? I know it's a really big question and, but it's just something that I always think about. Yeah. So when it comes to talent, I like to really think of it in terms of genetics. So a lot of Megan's really interesting research is on as we start to understand more and be able to model how the genetic code works, we're starting to learn that our genetics are tied to a lot of things that seem like they are of our own volition, you know, our free will and things. But the thing we will never understand is how all of these tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of variables interact. Like, let's take an obvious one. VO2 max is often referred to as that person is talented when it comes to VO2 max. But there are thousands of inputs that go into VO2 max. And then more complicated, like how all of that stuff fits together long-term, it's it's pure chaos theory. You have nonlinear interactions of millions, billions of variables. And so when you're talking about that, talent is within all of us. When you're talking about pure genetic talent, the question is, how exactly that talent shines and what the end point of that talent is. And what we've seen as coaches is that almost no one ever explores their talent fully because it's too complicated. There's too many interventions. There's too much you can do. And all you can do in the face of that is just give it your all to try to find what your talents are. And I think in that process, what we've seen, everyone has some one in a million talent. It's just a question of where it is. And I think it's really fun to think about like unpacking all of those different variables. So I think like you gave the example of VO2 max, which is something that like people often define as like a talent, but it's like, well, grit is talent, you know, hard work is talent. Like there's just so many different things that you can define as talent. And again, as you said, it's like piecing those together in this unique combination that's unique to every single person. And I think that's why coaching is so fun. It's because it's like, how are we going to unlock these unique combinations of variables? And at the same time, allow the athlete to see that and see that as talent. And that's like, that's honestly my favorite part. of. And then, yeah, layered on top of that, you have epigenetics. So how environmental triggers change how the genetic code actually expresses itself. Another place Megan's done research. And it's like, wow, when you put all these variables together, the way we conceive of talent is very similar to what you're saying, that it might as well not exist, at least in the very, like the A to B approach that like it's often framed as like this person is talented or this person isn't. We are all talented. Everyone listening to this is super talented. And, you know, where that lies, that's the fun part of exploring. Like, you never know how it's going to express what the timeline is going to be with where where it expresses. You know, you might find that you have an extreme talent for being the best 60 year old cyclist that's ever lived. Like, you just don't know. 
And that won't express itself until you're 60. Um, and it just gets to, in that complication, it, there's also liberation. It's like, okay, I'm just going to give it what I have and see what I got. Yeah. And I think it's important not to use talent as like a roadblock saying like, I can't do that because I'm not talented enough. And it's like, it might be easier. It, it might appear to come easier to somebody else and you might have to work harder than somebody else, but you can still get there. And really like that commitment that we've been talking about all along, like getting back up whenever you have a failure or like committing to the process of learning instead of just trying to be the best all the time and, and saying I'm talented only if I can win this race. Learning how to commit to that process is something that's so important, but it can be hard sometimes whenever you're comparing yourself again, comparison saying, well, so-and-so does that easier or like technical mountain biking, like where I am, it's crazy the things that people can ride. And I think, well, they're so talented. I'll never be able to do that. But it's because they committed the work to do that. And I might not be willing to do that. I love the analogy of the roadblock because I feel like oftentimes at that roadblock, there's actually like 20 different turns in the road that you can take. So it's like you come up against that roadblock and it's like, oh no, you're offered like a right-hand turn. And that right-hand turn is is like this new variable that you're going to unlock to get past that roadblock. And I think it's like the coolest way of thinking about it. It's like, no, it's actually an opportunity because you, you're presented with all these different turns, all these different paths to take. Um, and also, I love that you gave the example of the technical mountain bike riding, because like, <laughs> I look at your Instagram and I'm like, this is like the technical mountain bike riding that I would love to achieve someday. So it's like, it's so cool that I don't know, it's just like really cool to talk to you about that. You yeah, guys should come visit. I, <laughs> oh my gosh. Love that. I would probably like break my neck on those trails <laughs> trying to mountain bike, but it's like, I just get so much joy from watching your videos. And what we'll often say to athletes is like, believe, I dare you. Like, I dare you to see what happens if you do it. And once that like actually, once that permission to just unconditionally believe in yourself, like comes to fruition, the nonlinear responses can be mind blowing. We've seen athletes go from, you know, not being able to walk onto their college cross country team to being some of the best runners in the world. And why that happens, we don't know. Like it's it's very easy as coaches to be like, okay, this physiology with these interventions, he, this is should, what should happen. But the actual answer is this physiology interacts with these millions of chaotic variables and might lead to these dozens of different outcomes. And whatever your Plinko ball lands on or whatever, the whole point is seeing where it goes. And so belief is the the underlying thing that like whatever your super talent is belief is absolutely required to have a to ever get close to figuring it out yeah that belief the self-compassion and that space so that if you go for it and you come up short you know you're still okay and you know sometimes it can be hard to know if that's even what's holding you back like maybe you're afraid to try something but you don't really know why and then you do realize like well i'm afraid that if i spend all this time or if i go out there i, I look like an idiot and I'll come up short. And what does that mean about me? And that goes back to like everything we've been talking about today. That's such a good point too. And I think like human minds are just super creative. Like I think the fear of something is often way, way worse than like that thing actually happening in reality. Like I know my brain is great at like contriving these stories about like how bad X, Y, and Z is going to be. It's going to be like the end of the world. It's going to be awful. And then like, if that like experience actually does come to fruition, usually it's not as bad as like my brain has made it out to be. It's yeah. very interesting. Megan has conquered so much and she's like, I would call her fearless and the fear or so courageous. And the point with courage is that she like sees the fear she has and like move, go, does it anyway or does whatever the thing is anyway. And like, I'm endlessly inspired by that. Yeah. There's this quote that I wrote down a long time ago. It was like, feel the fear and do it anyway. 
Yeah. That's a great quote. I want that like on our, that's going to go next to our Ted Lasso quote on our, on our bathroom mirror. That's amazing. Yeah. Feel the fear, but also feel everything else. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's one thing Megan's helped me a lot with. I, I often struggled with like fully embracing maybe the, the negative sides of emotions and things like that. And she's helped me really understand. It's like, no, the whole point is like to feel those things. And, and well, yeah. Good. And I think like once you feel those, like the negative side of emotions, sometimes like once you give yourself that space to feel like frustrated or angry or sad, it like actually magnifies like the joy because like, you know, if you were just experiencing joy all the time, you wouldn't have any context for just how great that is. That's such a good point. And David, I can relate with you. Like I, I'm working on being able to sit in the discomfort instead of push it away whenever there is like a sad or negative or hard, instead of being like, I'm just going to use my optimism to, to like get through this. It's like, well, sometimes we need to actually feel those feelings first before we can move on. Otherwise they show up and manifest in different ways later down the road. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And I feel like oftentimes, like, I don't know, like, I think working through it initially, again, like, yeah, as you said, it like, it just really helps it from like blowing up bigger down the road. It's almost like a hill workout where yeah. the goal on a hill workout is not to be like, I get through this hill workout. The goal is to feel that like this, whatever you would call that discomfort and embrace it in the moment you're in. Because as soon as you start trying to distract yourself or, or get through it or whatever, like one, it's going to be a way worse workout. You're going to adapt worse, but you're also going to perform way worse because there is in, you know, you were empowered by the very things you might be like pushing away. And so, you know, it, Megan's helped me help me so much with that with like, non athletic things. Yeah, you guys talked about like, talking about the thing that's bothering you. And I think it's Brene Brown has some quote about like shame exists in the dark. And, you know, once you talk about it, it defangs, you know, the thing, and then it makes it not so bad. Yeah, that's so true. And developing a framework too. So like, We've had, I mean, I think a lot of our like disagreements in the past have been like, David doesn't love to talk about hard emotions. And like, we've had this, like, we've had this like conversation a lot. And so like, we've developed these strategies. I'm like, okay, well, we can write it down. We can like, you know, devote this time. And I think like, it's been something that like, we've really like tried to work through. And like, I haven't been great. Cause I'm like, you know, when David says that, I'm like, no, we must talk about it now. You know what I mean? It's like, that's how I respond to it. And so it's like, it's definitely been something that we've been working through. Yeah. And we love Brene Brown and, you know, all this stuff that we're talking about is essentially repackaging every, like it's this, a Buddhism on a Snapple cap or, you know, Brene Brown, or if people listening to this haven't watched Ted Lasso, watch Ted Lasso because it's essentially the same type of conversation. And that all of this stuff, like, you know, we're all having the same conversations in our heads. And that that's so cool. Like that anyone that you see, no matter what you're seeing on Instagram or whatever, is thinking a lot of the same thoughts. And like, I don't know, I, for me, at least like coaching has been such a liberating experience because it's like, you know, you're not just there for people, but in seeing what people are going through, they're there for you. And it, even though you're not like maybe burying your soul each day, it's just like, it's so cool that, you know, we are literally in this stuff together. That's yeah, humanity. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. what athletics is. Athletics is humanity expressing itself. Yeah. And that's what we want. Express yourself. I was gonna say, when people open up, it's like the most beautiful thing. And then I feel like it just creates that like deeper relationship. It's like someone opens up and it's like, oh my gosh, we can talk about all these deep things. This is amazing. Yeah. And in your athletic life, make your express yourself like Jackson Pollock, you know, just like put paint out there. And you know, the beauty that comes from it, who knows? Like, that's the whole point, though. Don't like paint within the lines or any. There's no fun in that. I love it. Well, I think there's, we could just go on forever. Um, I think this is probably a, a good place to wrap it up. Where can people find, I mean, you guys have your playlist, your swap playlist, your swap podcast, your coaching, your book, like there's all this stuff. So where's the best place for people to find you guys? Megan is Meg underscores runs underscore happy. 
and then that's on Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, and actually, Addy Dog is probably our most uh, joyous Instagram account. So it's Addy Dog and David Addy does. Oh, stuff. most important thing, Sonia Looney socks oh, yes. are oh. out of this world. I don't know it, how this has not come up yet. I don't know. I totally <laughs> forgot. It has changed my athletic life. I have had better running and biking recently in those socks. Like I've always never, I've never had good socks. Like it's just, not, I don't know why. Nor have you had matching socks. So today David was wearing the avocado ones on our workout. And it was like so weird to see you in a pair of matching socks. I was like, this is amazing. So yeah, that's my request. Everyone go buy those socks. They, they've been worth so many seconds per mile. It's incredibly cool. I'm pretty sure that you put some sort of like, you know, magic juju in it. They're sock watts. They're not Kegel watts like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like also too, I feel like it's just like, we actually probably talk about you once a week. That's a very creepy thing to say on this podcast, but it's like your joy and enthusiasm and energy that you put out in the world is just like infectious. And everything that you do as a mom and a biker. So like you come up in our household over dinner probably once a week. Oh, I talk That'd about be- you guys all the time too. So it's not creepy. <laughs> we have so much love for you. Thank you for all you do. All right. Thank you, you guys. Awesome. Woo! Woo! I hope you guys enjoyed that awesome episode. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and it really helps whenever you rate and tell us what you think about the show. It helps other people find the show too. And sharing the show with your friends is another great way to ensure that other people are benefiting from the people who are guests and guests are not paid. Guests volunteer their time whenever they come on the show. So it's super, super helpful to help spread their message. That's why I am here to create a platform and a space for amazing people to reach others. Happy Thanksgiving once again. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.